Well, I'll begin uh, simply by saying that, that I titled Sermon Mission Impossible because this really seems like an impossible situation to resolve, this conflict between Joseph and his brothers. Uh, you've heard how they treated him. They were jealous of him when he was younger because he was a dreamer, but they were schemers, and they sought to put him down and put him to death to elevate themselves. And so now, at age 17, when he is cast into slavery and taken to Egypt, now the scriptures tell us right before this chapter that he's 30 years old when he's put into a position of power. So 23 years have passed by. And listen to this. In the chapter before, it says this in, in Genesis uh, 41.5, that Joseph had two children, and he named his firstborn Manasseh and said, I name him this because God has made me forget all of my trouble and my father's household as well. That's what Manasseh means, to forget. And so Joseph is done with his upbringing and his brothers and his fathers, finished. In the rearview mirror so far that can't even see a speck. And then suddenly, in a day, they show up. These schemers that sought out to take his life showed up, and they wanted food to eat. And so Joseph has an impossible situation of how to reconcile the pain and the hurts and the tear between them and still be God's person. So it's an impossible mission, and yet by God's grace it comes to pass. A few things about it. First of all, in this chapter 42, notice that hunger is alleviated. That even in a difficult time, Joseph feeds these brothers who had sought to do him harm and to end his life. He took the high road, didn't he? He helped them in their time of need when they certainly didn't deserve it. And he did the right thing, the good thing, the God thing, even though... It would not have been against him if he didn't. Joseph was in a position, remember, that Pharaoh elevated him to, not only to feed his family in that great famine, those seven years, with these great stores he had collected in Egypt, but also to feed all of Egypt when there was nothing growing anymore, and to feed all of the known world around Egypt that were coming there because they heard that they had food. Hunger was alleviated because Joseph used his position and use the stores of the times of feast to help alleviate suffering, even to those that, that did him harm. Makes you appreciate our, our backpack ministries as a church and our food pantry and, and even the blessing bags that our missions committee are putting together because those all address hunger issues to some degree, different degrees in our community. God's people always ought to be feeding the hungry people, right? Right. We should. And so we see that Joseph is a part of that. Jesus would come later, and we talked about the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. Jesus would come later and say that he is the bread of life for the world. Just as Joseph was feeding the known world then of their hunger for food for their stomachs, so Jesus would, would feed the whole world 
the spiritual nourishment that all stand in need of. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread, to provide for us the very sustenance that we need. And we talked about last week how those dreams that Joseph interpreted in prison, remember of the baker and the cup bearer, and the representation there of the, the, the cup of Christ and the, the bread broken for the world in communion. Um, what great power in that imagery of Jesus being the bread of life for us all. Fifty years ago, the eagle landed. Did you catch that yesterday? Yeah. Do you know where I was 50 years ago? I was uh, at home probably sitting on my mama's knee. I was um, two years old at that point. Uh, a lot of time has passed, and what an amazing historic event that was. One thing that's uh, very unknown, I've used it in a sermon before, but it's been a while, is that how Buzz Aldrin one of the two guys that would walk on the surface of the moon for the very first time served communion to himself there in the lunar module that landed. He, an elder of his Presbyterian church back home in Houston, Texas, had the elements blessed, and he stowed them away in his personal belongings, a little chalice that they gave him, and a little piece of unleavened bread, and a little vial of, of communion wine. And after they had landed on the moon and were waiting for time to suit up and to go out, he took a moment of personal privilege and gave thanks to God, and he celebrated communion, the body and the blood of Christ. And he, um, in a way I think that had to be done, um, not to a religious way, he even gave thanks and encouraged other people through his correspondence with Mission Control to, to take moments of thankfulness during that time. Here's what he wrote later about that moment um, where he was on the surface of the moon. Uh, he said, during the radio blackout, I opened the little plastic packages that had the bread and wine, and I poured the wine into the chalice my church had given me. And the one-sixth gravity of the moon caused the wine to curl up the side of the cup slowly and gracefully. It was interesting to think that the very first liquid ever poured on the moon and the very first food ever eaten there were communion elements. The bread of life for him and for the world beyond the world. What a powerful thing. Hunger was alleviated in chapter 42 as we read one other thing about it is that old wounds were reopened, weren't they? 23 years is a long time. If you've ever had a tear before in a relationship, if you've ever had bad blood in your family or among friends, or been done wrong by somebody, taken advantage of in business, or maybe you've done something to harm or injure someone that you regret now, 23 years is a long time to sweat that out and wonder what the consequences will be if you ever run into that person again. This story reminds us that we need to try to work out and reconcile the conflicts and the old wounds of our past. And we are given the means and the mechanism through our Christian faith to do that. But there's always conflict around us, and there's always going to be. And we may be the perpetrators of it, as Joseph's brothers were. 
What are the old famous lines of Shakespeare? Oh, what a tangled web we weave uh, when we first practice to deceive. How difficult it is to, to deal with the guilt as Joseph's brothers did of what they had done and wonder, is God going to punish me for what I've done wrong? If you feel that guilt, it's, it's important to go to God and to reconcile that and to work that out with others. But on the other side, isn't it difficult just as much to, to offer forgiveness and grace to someone when they have done us wrong? Imagine being Joseph in his position of authority. How easy it would have been for him to crow when his brothers were on bended knee, bowed down before him. I told you, my dreams when I was 17, remember I'm Joseph. See, you were wrong and I was right. But instead, instead he graciously, graciously gave them what they needed to stay alive for them and their families and, and sent them on their way. Reconciliation will happen later in what we read. But suffice it to say that, that though these old wounds were reopened, after this long period of, um, of moving on and moving beyond, uh, God still had some work to do. And not just to let things lie where they had for so long. The last thing uh, that I'll mention today, and then we'll dismiss, is that in the midst of all of this chaos and conflict and difficulty in Joseph's life, and that for his father and his brothers, God is grooming at this time a face of grace for the world that had yet to be seen. Joseph, in his person, in his position, in his power, had the ability to show grace, God's undeserved love, mercy, and forgiveness to those that needed it most. And in doing that, he showed the world what God intends for us to do, how God intends for us to live, how God has shown us that grace and how we are to show that to others. Joseph was in the role of a savior in this situation, and he could have plotted 23 years, couldn't he? 23 years, he could have planned out his revenge down to the moment to say as if, if I ever see any of those scoundrels again, here's what I'm going to do. 23 years, enslaved, doing menial Dirty jobs, tasks that most of us wouldn't want to do with time to think. Gosh, I really could get them back this way. Years in prison in a dark cell, unable to be free and go and do what his brothers were doing. A lot of time up here to think about how is it that I could get those guys back and give them their just rewards. But the amazing thing is, is that Joseph cried when he saw his brothers. He was so hurt and so cut to the quick that any thoughts of vengeance he might have had, he knew in his heart of hearts what he needed to do, and that was to show them grace, love, mercy, and forgiveness. There's another face of grace that we all are more familiar with, and it is the face of Jesus, of course. And all that he calls us to do to forgive and to love and to heal and to, 
to conquer divides between us, yes, by His grace, He enables us to do that. The question is, are we up to the task of doing it? Of seeking out for those difficult things we've done in life, misdeeds to others and in the eyes of God, of of working that out and getting through those so as to put them behind us and resolve them? And are we able on the other side of of the wall to, to offer forgiveness and grace to those that have wounded us? Because that's really what we're called to do, right? To love as God has first loved us in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's end with a prayer. If you would bow with me, please. God, thank you for showing us in the least likely of places your love that rules supreme. And we all know in this world there's so much love and reconciliation that is needed. Lord, help us to seek it out in our lives and share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.